Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to see you all here this morning. I'm excited to preach to you all this morning. It is probably the best day. It's not probably. It is the best day in the whole wide world right now because we get to celebrate Jesus Christ. So do me a favor. Comment below. Uh, say something below because I'm about to do something that we normally do in church, and I want you guys to do it in the comments. Okay? I'm going to say it, and all of you know what to say after I say it. Are you ready? He is risen. God is good. He's risen indeed. Thank you for posting that. But before I do move on to the greatest day in all of Christendom, in all of the world, I want you guys to know that I am praying hard. I'm praying constantly. I'm praying without ceasing. God is keeping me up late at night. And I'm praying for each and every one of you guys because this is the biggest opportunity in the whole wide world. I see posts on Facebook of people complaining about not having time, don't know what movies to watch on Netflix or Prime Video or Hulu or all these different things that are causing us to run away from God. This is the opportune prime time chance for all of you to sit down quietly together as a family and read God's word. This coronavirus has been horrendous. It's been horrible for people. People have died and no one desires that. But this is an opportunity for you to be still and know that God is who he says he is. So I'm calling all of you. If you can't figure out what to do with your life right now, start reading the word. Because right after this, we're going to look at the New Testament proverb, which is the book of James. God's laid it on my heart to preach through a sermon series on the book of James. It's five chapters, but it is very much the wisdom book of the New Testament. So I'm excited to share that with you. But for today, again, we're talking about leadership. So let me talk to you, and let's pray, and we'll see what God has for us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come to you in this time of need, and we ask you, God, to help us. Help us to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. It was a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to you, God. And I just pray that we could be imitators of Jesus. That one time we were in darkness, but now we are the light in the Lord. And we walk as children of light. Lord, I, I just pray and thank you for this time. I pray and thank you for the people who are online right now. God, bless them through this time. Help them through this time. As we were embarking on a leadership skills sermon series, Lord, I pray that people would see the true leadership of your son, Jesus Christ. In this moment, in this time, we pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. 
So last week, I shared with you the 11 or so traits of Jesus Christ in his human side, his leadership side. And I gave you scriptural references for each of those traits, which those traits are these. They were honesty and integrity, confidence, inspiring of others, commitment and passion, decision-making skills, good communication skills, his empathy, his humility, his vision and purpose, and finally, his servant skills. We looked at all of these things, and Jesus embodies all of these traits of leadership skills that you would want to or you look for in a real leader. He did all these things perfectly. He did all these things willingly. And he showed us what to look for in a leader. He did this as a full-fledged man, full-fledged human being. And like I said, today we're going to look at his godly side. We're going to look at Jesus Christ and how he was fully God. And I'm going to give you some scripture references to prove the fact that Jesus is God. He is holy. He is the Son of God. And then I'm going to share the greatest story ever. But we've looked at all of these human beings throughout this whole leadership series, starting with Abraham, ending with Jesus, and we've seen with many of the human beings a very good trait and a very bad trait. And the only one who had no bad traits, who had no sin, was Jesus Christ. And we're going to get into that today as well, because that's fully his godly side. But I want you guys to remember that as God is using these people in the Bible, he can use you today just as much as he used them back there, back then. That's the important thing. People think of the people of the Bible and they say, they must be holier than thou, they must be better than everybody else, and that's why they're in the Bible. Well, here's the thing. God used them and they were willing to be used as human beings. To fulfill his purpose. And I'm asking us to not put them on pedestals necessarily. That's why I showed you their faults. They all needed to repent. They all needed to turn to God. Just like you and I today. And that's why I shared it. So today, the greatest event in all of human history happened today. It was the most influential event in all of human history, it's still talked about 2,020 years later. And it's the most important thing. Jesus showed us his fully godly side by coming to us after three days, after being three days murdered, he rises again to defeat death and he ascends to heaven where he prepares a place for all of us, of those who believe in him, he prepares a place for us in heaven, and he's coming back again. That's, that's an amazing God. That's an amazing truth. And it's not just something that's fanciful. It's not a myth. There's enough evidence to prove that it happened. 
And if you want to check that evidence out, you can go back last year when I did Easter Sunday and I talked about the five proofs of Jesus Christ being who he says he was. But understand today, we're celebrating Jesus Christ. So let me start off this way. Let me start off by talking about Jesus Christ as being fully God. I'm going to have you guys turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, and I'm going to read this for you. And it says this, The angel answered her, Mary, Jesus' mother, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, and the therefore is always there for a reason in Scripture, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of Mary, the Son of the Holy Spirit, will come upon her and be called Holy, the Son of God. This shows us that Jesus' holiness comes from God. He didn't inherit a sin nature like you and I, like all other human beings, but he came from God the Father who inspired him to be born through the use of the work of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Most High and was born and is called Holy Son of God. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 39 through 47. You're going to see another example of Jesus being fully God. Here it says this, John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham and what he did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who was told who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Verse 41. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you can't bear to hear my words. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I, Jesus Christ, tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus Christ never sinned. And he challenges those who say that he does to prove that he does. They can't do it. They struggle. 
They have no way of doing it because he never did. Here's another godly aspect of Jesus Christ. John 15, verse 10 through 13 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, Jesus again is saying that he's never sinned. He's never sinned. He never made a mistake. And that is another aspect of him being fully God. How about another example of his perfect life? Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 22. Listen to what it says. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? He had already had a discussion with Jesus. He knew that he had no wrong in him. So he's asking the crowd, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather than a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with this man. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. And he asked the crowds, what has he done wrong? Jesus never sinned and was showing us the way to be and the way to go to heaven by being fully man and by being fully God. And those of the devil don't want to hear the words of Jesus Christ. They don't want to listen to the words of Jesus Christ because they don't want to do what Jesus Christ is asking them to do. Even though he followed his father's commandments, they don't want to do it. I've only got a couple more examples that, I, that, that need to be said of his sinless ways. And then I'm going to share Jesus Christ's story with you. So turn with me to these three verses. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Peter 2, and Hebrews 7. 2 Corinthians 5. 1 Peter 2 and Hebrews 7. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says this. For our sake, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God the Father made him, Jesus Christ, to be the one to die for sin, even though he never knew sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Think about that for a moment. Let that sink in. That's the word of God speaking to your hearts. God allowed his son to be sin even though he never knew sin because he was fully God. 1 Peter chapter 2, listen to what it says, verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't commit sin, and there was no lies found in his mouth. He always told the truth. He always told the truth. Here's another one, the last one. Hebrews 7, verses 25 through 28 say this. Consequently, he is able to save to the utmost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and then for the, those sins of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints man in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. What does all this mean for us today? What does all of this mean for us in leadership skills today? <clears throat> Let me read you one more passage. And I think it's going to sum it up for you. Because Romans 3.23 tells us exactly what we have happening in the world today. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Christ died for us, even though we're sinners. It's not about perfection. Christianity, as Ravi Zacharias likes to say so often, Christianity is not about bad people becoming good people. It never has been. It never will be. Christianity has been about dead people becoming alive. Spiritually dead people becoming alive. Because they confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead and they are saved. It's not about baptisms. It's not about giving alms. It's not about earning your way out of purgatory. It's none of that. That's all garbage added on. And I'd say it to anybody I meet. If you teach a false gospel like prosperity gospel, the health and wealth gospel, then I would call you a liar to your face. 
Because that's the boldness of Jesus Christ. And if you don't think I'm telling the truth, go read what Jesus boldly said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, in Matthew chapter 23. Christians are afraid to share the truth for some reason because they're afraid of offending people. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is offensive because they live for the father of lies. They want to do the things that the father of lies wants to do. And he wants to kill Christianity. We have many today who don't want to believe in Jesus Christ because they want to be God. That's the truth. That's what I'm scared of most for many people in the world today. Is Christianity is about dead people becoming spiritually alive so they can know who Jesus Christ is. And the way you can know who Jesus Christ is is through the Word of God. He is the Word of God. 1 John or John 1, 14 says, He became the Word and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is fully God. I want you to hear God's Word right now. Listen to God's Word. Let it sink in for you. Are you ready for this, church? Turn with me to John chapter 19, verse 28. John 19, verse 28, the Gospel of John. Listen to the Word of God as I read it slowly to you and let God's Word impact your life like it impacted mine and so many others. John chapter 19, verse 28 says this. And after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. After Pilate could find no wrong, they crucified him. This is where we're at in the story. Verse 31. Since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But they came to Jesus, saw that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. 
and he knows that he's telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he had crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was closed at hand, they laid Jesus there. John chapter 20 verse 1 says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one who Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, went into the tomb, saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scriptures, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she stood, stopped, stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabinani, 
which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, they showed them, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven for them. If you withhold forgiveness for any, it is withhold. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of the nails, and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Have you believed because you have seen? Listen to the next part, church. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The evidence is overwhelming, church. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully man, with emotions, he eats, he drinks, he weeps, and he's fully God. He never sinned, but he died for the whole world so that we who believe and receive him as our saviors are saved from eternal separation from God. Repent of your sins, turn from your ways, follow his ways, read your scriptures, this is the time. You don't have to do anything. You have time now. You have an opportunity of a lifetime to run to God. Stop running to entertainment. It's not going to fulfill you. That's why it's true. So many people are going, what else can I watch on Netflix? They don't find fulfillment in the shows that they binge watch. Find fulfillment in the scriptures. 
That's my message today for all of us. It will always be our message that you will find perfect fulfillment in Jesus Christ always and forever. Jesus Christ is in control and knows everything that's going to happen. And there's a comfort in that. There's a comfort in knowing that someone's in control, that you don't have to worry, that you can't even add a single hour to your day by worrying, it says in Matthew. None of us can. But if we seek God's kingdom and righteousness first, all the things people worry about, sickness, health, wealth, money, clothing, houses, God knows what you need. God knows what you desire. He knows everything about you. And the greatest gift he can give you, the greatest thing he can give you is an inheritance to a kingdom that's bigger than all the inheritance that's out there. And it's the kingdom of his own family. We are heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You have to make a decision about Jesus Christ. You can't sit back and go, well, I wonder if he did this, or I wonder if he did that. Now is the time. Make a decision. All I'm asking you to do is to seek, ask, and knock. If you seek, you'll find. If you ask, the answers will be given to you. If you knock, the door will be open, and Jesus will come in, and he will eat with you. He will fellowship with you. Because he's risen. He is the Son of God. He's holy. I can't preach that enough. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He ascends to heaven. And there are eyewitness accounts of it. There's enough proof enough evidence to prove over and over again he is who he says he is and he did what he said he did and he will do what he says he's going to do and you need to stop and listen heed the words of Christ fully God fully man raised on the third day so that you and I would not have to be eternally separated from God the Father forever. That's the message today. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let me pray for us, church. Let me pray for us because there's really nothing more I can say except that. And I'm going to pray for us using Scripture. I want you to hear a prayer of Paul. Listen to what he says to the Ephesians. Every family in heaven and on earth is named. 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what Paul prayed for us. Prayed for the church in Ephesus. But I want to pray for you guys the way Jesus asked us to pray. So let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallow or holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts, our sins, our trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors or trespassers, those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord Jesus Christ, you prayed that that's how we should pray. That if we forgive others their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. But if we do not forgive others their trespasses, their sins, then neither will our Father in Heaven forgive our sins. So, Lord, help us in this time, on this Easter Sunday, on this Resurrection Sunday, help us to forgive those who wrong us. Help us to follow you in your example. Lord, I pray for all of those who are infected by this virus, this evil virus, this deadly virus. I pray for our governments, our government to start looking to you for wisdom, for answers, to know the way to go, to not just keep kicking the can down the road, but to truly look to you and find you in times of need. Everybody currently right now, Lord, is playing the blame game. It's this person's fault. It's that person's fault. Lord, it's sin's fault. 
Death entered this world because we chose to not follow you. Adam chose to not obey your commandments. We choose to not obey your commandments, to not follow you. I pray as a nation, as a church, we would stop our ways and start looking to you. You are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life, Lord Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through you. So I pray wholeheartedly we as a nation would look to you that we wouldn't be anxious about our life or our span of life, that we wouldn't be anxious or worry about our clothing, that we wouldn't be anxious or worry about our housing or our money. Many of us are struggling with money. Many have been laid off from their jobs because of this virus. Lord, I pray that the leaders of our government would start looking to you and use your wisdom in this midst and help us to obey the governments. But most importantly, help us to follow you and obey you and do your will, not theirs. Lord, I just pray for this time. I pray for the people. I pray for this Easter Sunday is that we have families that are getting together, small families. They would celebrate you this day. They would celebrate the greatest day ever that you were raised from the dead, that you defeated death so that we could have life. We who believe in you, we can have life. You go to prepare a place for us and you will come back to take us with you. I pray for those who don't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you. And I pray for those who do know you, Lord, that they would share the greatest truth with the world. Jesus, you said in John 14, 14, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. Lord, I pray and ask all these things in your name. Amen. I want to thank you for joining us today. I'm starting a new sermon series next week. We're going to be looking at James. We're going to be looking at the Proverbs book of the New Testament. That's really what James is kind of described as. It's a wisdom book. And so I want to share with you that exciting time with you. That's a great opportunity for you to see some of the things we as Christians need to be doing in this time. Verse 2 of James chapter 1 says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, for the various trials that you're going to face when you're facing them. I want to invite you to that. It will be next week, Sunday, 10 a.m. Thank you again. May God bless you. May God bless this country. I pray you all stay safe. I thank you. See you next week.